Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for Apex Fighting 85. Obviously, it's UFC Vegas 85. Producer Megan on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Uh, one week off, and now we're, we're back into it, Cody. Um, back at the Apex. It's actually kind of interesting. I saw an interview with Charles Johnson. I know, you know, us fans, we like to complain about things. I love that there's fights on Saturdays every single weekend. And I don't love the venue of the Apex. I just find, you know, the there's a certain je ne sais quoi about, like, a live crowd and the excitement of that. And you can feel it when you're watching the event that is not there. When you're when you're watching fights in the apex, there's 50 people there. But like Charles Johnson was on somebody's podcast. I only saw the clip. Sorry for like not shouting whoever out that had him on their show. He was talking about how he's like, it's kind of a raw deal. He's like, I get one ticket. So I give that to my wife. He's like, I can't have any of my friends come because he's like, the tickets are like $1,600 to get in the building. So it's like, he's like, you just get a bunch of rich a-holes, basically, that are in the front row, like, talking smack because they've got, like, a bunch of money on you and stuff. He's fought every single one of his fights since he's been in the UFC in the Apex. He's like, I, he's like, back in my LFA days, I was, like, in front of crowds, and I got to feed off of that. So it's like, it sounds like a lot of the fighters are actually kind of getting sick of the Apex, too. Yeah, well, as long as the money is there, I mean, who really cares? But in terms of the viewing purposes, you like to see a live crowd. You're a fight fan. You like to see that energy. In terms of gambling purposes, I don't care, man. We're coming off a big stadium show. It's in Toronto. It's our backyard. It's full of Canadian fighters. Things are feeling good. Got decimated. And last week's card was it was hard because we went 6-0 and to start the card. Got two nice underdogs, Jimmy Flick, Sam Patterson. We're rolling. We run into Siri City, right? I think he wins the fight. It's at home in Canada. I'm pretty sure he does enough to win this fight. And his opponent missed weight by five pounds. Why would you rob the Canadian in Canada? I get judges, different places. Canadian in Canada, opponent misses weight by five pounds. You can't reward that in a close fight. So I was like, done. Don't worry. Charles Jordan will get us back. They announce him as the winner, Paul. And then it's like, no, 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 sorry. It's a Woodson split decision. So I'm killed right there. Glad I'm killed right there because I've otherwise would have had active Brad Katona tickets. Just thought Brad Katona actually won the fight. He ends up losing it, right? Another Canadian at home in Canada. Mike Mallott won 13 minutes of a fight and blows it in the last two minutes. And then I lose to Sean, Sean Strickland in the main event. So lost like four split decisions. All four decisions I thought I had a chance at winning. The Jordan one was close. But if the argument is like Woodson landed 20 strikes, like what strikes did was he landing? Like this long-ass jab? There's nothing on it. Sean Strickland doubled up a guy, and their argument was, well, what was behind it? Like actual power, right? Well, what did Woodson have behind his shots? At least Jordan's going forward, swinging like a madman, trying to make something happen, trying to grind him up against the cage, trying to strike. So it was so frustrating. Started off 6-0, and looking good. And then the losses, they're all legit losses. Listen, I'm not going to complain. But, like, that's the difference between, like, crushing it and having a terrible week is, like, these slight bounces. So I'm, I'm actually glad to get back to the Apex simpler times. This is a rough-looking card from a betting standpoint, but hopefully we can sniff out a few underdogs and make it worthwhile. Yep. Main event, we've got Nasruddin Imovov taking on Roman Delize. Minus 160 for the Frenchman. 
the Russian Frenchman, Delize, or uh, Imovov, Delize, the Georgian, could be had for plus 140. Yeah, this main event, like, I I feel like historically, I just, like, don't get either one of these guys right. I think I've underestimated, frankly, both of them. I've faded them, and, they, and they've cost me. Delize, I thought, was, like, complete, like, garbage, and that he was just, like, getting, like, fluke finishes and stuff like that. And he's kind of proven me wrong. He's shown that like his cardio is probably a lot better. His, his striking is definitely coming along. He's got half decent grappling, um, and he's obviously got some pretty serious power. And like with Georgian guys, it's just like they've just got like this will to will to win that yeah, maybe some people in the Western world just like don't get it because of like the hardships and stuff that they had to grow up in. I don't know. Um, but yeah, both of these guys I've historically just like been dead wrong on. Um, didn't think either one of them was very good. So I'm really, really torn on this main event, Cody. I want to talk to you about it really before even making a pick. I know it's like a cop out, but like <laughs> this, like I looked at this main event and I was just like, it screams pass. I've got to make a pick for the purposes of the show. But it's like, I don't know what to expect from these two guys. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Both guys, you think you got them figured out a little bit, but both guys have showed up in their last fights looking completely different and looking way better. With Nasruddin Imovov, yeah, you know he's a slick striker, doesn't really have the takedown defense, doesn't really have the grappling, but the guy's a smooth operator, very high volume. Um, His problem is because he's throwing that high volume, because he's looking to eclipse 100 significant strikes landed per fight, he gasses out, man. He's known to tire out down the stretch fade out in these fights, and fight a bad back half. He's not built for five rounds. So we fade him hard against Sean Strickland. That was a weird fight because Strickland rolled off the couch and took it on like a week's notice. It's a catchweight of, I think it was a catchweight of 195. Maybe it was a 205. Sorry, it's 205 pounds. Strickland was 205 pounds. Imovov was 195 pounds. So he spotted him 10 pounds, Mm -hmm. but the trade-off was he had like a 10-week training camp and Sean Strickland by his own account was eating pizza two days before. So... Should he have looked better? Maybe. But to me, it was he's not built for a five-round fight. And so he goes out there and tries to throw his classic volume. The thing is, he doesn't necessarily have the stopping power to knock out guys like Sean Strickland. Yeah, he can knock out Phil Hawes. Probably not going to knock out Sean Strickland. So when his volume gets matched and see he starts to tire, he just drowns, man. The later that fight goes, Sean Strickland starts to have his way. Bad performance for Imovov. Another case of his cardio rearing its ugly head. But again, five-round fight, so that's what you're looking for. The thing is, is that very next fight against Chris Curtis, right? He looks awesome. Now, it's a mm-hmm. no-contest stop partway through the second round, but he's kicking Chris Curtis's ass, man. Lands three takedowns, which Action is very difficult to take down. Also, just handily outstriking him. Curtis is known for slow starts. Curtis is known for kind of pitter-patter, sparring-type matches at times because he's very, very, very technical. But he involves having his way. And it doesn't look like he's going to tire anytime soon. But of course... It's possible. And in a five-round fight, it's definitely possible. Roman deletes, meanwhile, I'm going to agree with you, looks super limited. Guy's from Georgia, so you know he's rock iron tough. But he'd been fighting on the regional scene prior to coming to the UFC at like 215 pounds. He was a heavyweight, fighting heavyweights, which is like a small heavyweight. BJJ Black Belt, got some ADCC regional-type competition. Good grappler. Comes to the UFC at 205 pounds. This guy's hanging with 205ers. He's a big physical guy. Him dropping to 185, it's like, nah, probably not going to happen. But to his credit, he's looked pretty good. He also smashes Phil Haas. He gets a nice solid win over Jack Hermanson. That one's got to count for something. Losing the fight, but it go. Knocking out Jack Hermanson, <laughs> not an easy task. And then his last fight with Marvin Vittori, they'll tell you it's a loss, and it was a loss. He fought Marvin Vittori tooth and nail, 
Nip Talk in a very, very, very close competitive fight that he could have won. Close fight. And again, his cardio was there. It's a three-round fight, but he didn't gas out like he normally does. Vittori is known as an elite-level striker by middleweight standards, and yet Dolitz hangs with him the entire mm -hmm. time. The two issues I have with it is, one, it was a three-round fight, so there's no telling if he would have gassed in four and five, which is possible. Two, even though his striking looked way better, he still only landed 70 significant strikes, which is going to be low fighting a guy like Imovov that's going to outland him. And three, ring IQ is a bit questionable because he has solid grappling. He's a big, strong Georgian powerhouse, and yet he shot zero takedowns against him. In his fight with Jack Hermanson, he shot zero takedowns. In his fight with Phil Hawes, he shoots zero takedowns. That's a lie. He actually shot, I think, one against Vittori, bailed on it half early. He's not committing to his wrestling. So if he comes in here with Imovov and he decides, I'm going to strike with him, five rounds, like that Georgian toughness is going to play out. Like maybe he tires his kid out. Maybe he lands some good shots. Maybe he hurts him. Maybe he forces a scramble and gets on top and then uses his submission game. I don't mind him for dog money. But if he's just going to stand with him the entire time, chances are he'll be behind on the scorecards and be looking for that big shot to turn things around. I'm going to agree with your assessment that it's a pass. Thing is, we can't make passes. And the name of the show is Dogger Pass. So plus 170, Roman deletes. I'll take that underdog shot. Yeah, I'm going to take the underdog shot too. But from like, I actually don't think I'm going to bet the main event, to be perfectly honest, because I see the cases for both guys. They're both, frankly, pretty low volume uh, strikers at the best of times. Um, I mean, it'll be an entertaining main event, but yeah, not, not one that I think I have any sort of like mathematical edge, if that makes any yeah. sense. Imovov, Imovov's been a welterweight. He's got the frame of a welterweight, and he fights up at 85. And clearly that fight with Sean Strickland, it was like he was way out of depth against a guy that's actually in his division. And Roman DeLeeds is a 205 that's fought as high as heavyweight, small heavyweight, but has fought as high as heavyweight at middleweight. So I, I'm hoping it's like going to be man strength. But, but still, you're probably giving up speed and volume. So like that man strength is best suited in the clinch, man. It's like take him down, do something, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, T tough, tough main event, but I'll ever so slightly just go with that plus money. All right, uh, co main event we've got Hinato Moicano taking on Drew Dober. Moicano, a minus 190 favorite, Dober can be had for plus 165. I did make a small bet on this one, I took uh, Moicano by submission plus 200. Um, I mean, it seems like a very you know, there's two ways about this fight. I mean, the the the, the total is set at seven and a half minutes. Um, obviously, a round and a half. Um, Dober hits hard. Moicano's been rocked multiple times over the course of his career. That's kind of like the one issue with his game. He's very, very talented all the way around. He's been one of the better. He was like a Brazilian prospect that like people had really, really big high hopes for, I think. And um, he's never really turned the corner and like lived up to that potential. A lot of that has to do with inactivity over the course of his career. But, uh, yeah, like when he gets to that next level, it's he's been knocked out. So the chin is a bit of a question. Drew Dober hits like a Mack truck. He's a guy, you know, with the big, huge jaw that we used to kind of laugh about. It's like, you can't knock this guy out. But he started the show, obviously, the Frivola fight. And some of the fights leading up to the Frivola fight that, like, his chin isn't really what it used to be. He's coming off of a nice win against Ricky Glenn, where he outmatched him, outstrengthed him, and, and absolutely put him away in the first round. Um, Moicano, if he's fighting this fight smart, it's like he doesn't want to hang out at range, potentially eat shots from Drew Dober. People who have really went in with the game plan of taking down 
Drew Dober have had success doing so. It's been a few fights because a lot of these fights are ending pretty quick for him. But, you know, Rafael Alves was able to take down Drew uh, once. Uh, Terrence McKinney was able to do it twice. Brad Riddell took him down five times. Islam Makachev, I mean, well, he's the best guy at 155 pounds. He took him down three times. It's just like... Moicano's game plan, I imagine, is going to be immediately from the hop, look for a takedown, look for a submission. So I thought Moicano by submission plus 200 was a good look. So Moicano is obviously the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, you're not wrong. I would actually be tempted in a Drew Dober pick just because simply, like you said, he's got the big power. He's got maybe not necessarily a clear striking advantage, but given that Moicano has been rocking the past, maybe some durability, cast iron Drew Dober, solid cardio, training at altitude in Colorado, there's things that you could like about him, no doubt about it. But yeah, I go back to that Matt Frivola fight, him getting cracked for the first time, and now the writing starts to become on the wall. Because you go back to that Brad Riddell fight, cast iron chin, these guys bang it out. Classic war. Beautiful fight. Go back and watch it. Highly recommended. But he almost gets knocked out right at the end of the fight. That was like, okay, he could have gotten knocked out there. Then Terrence McKinney, is a hair away from knock. Bad ref stops it, but even a good ref would have been forced to stop it because he was almost unconscious. McKinney almost puts him away, and then Matt Frivola puts him away. So he's 35 years old now. I'm not saying the cardio is not there. I'm not saying the power is not there, but the durability is starting to lack. The ground game, as you mentioned, taking him down is certainly on the table. Out grappling him is certainly on the table, especially if you're a guy like Hanato Moicano. The best days are probably starting to become behind Drew Dover. Now, it's still possible that he goes out there and lands that big shot, no doubt. But how did he get knocked out from Matt Frivola? Well, I'll tell you, he doesn't do a particularly good job of cutting off the cage. He chases because he's probably so confident in his ability to take a punch that at times he gets a little reckless, man. Hands low, enters the pocket, just comes forward out his opponents. It's a linear striking. Now, Moicano, meanwhile, he does pick angles. He'll move side to side, but he's got a nasty jab on him. I'm not saying the jab's enough to knock out Drew Dover. It's that he's going to set traps. He's going to set traps, allow Drew to walk onto shots, and then eventually, hopefully, time the takedown, as you mentioned. Other guys have been had a lot of success with it. McKinney can wrestle. Sure, you'll give him a couple. Brad Riddell's not known for his wrestling. He's a New Zealander kickboxing champion from City Kickboxing. He scored the five takedowns. Rafael Alves, as you mentioned, not only just did he get the one takedown, but he had two and a half minutes of top control once he got the takedown. So, Moicano has a way of just rocking good strikers, getting on their back and choking them out the rear naked choke, or timing the takedown and catching them with the rear naked choke. As you mentioned, this guy was a super hot prospect. People really liked him. You know, what, what happened to him? What happened to him? His losses are to Rafael Dos Anjos, a former champion, a goat of the division, Rafael Faziv. <clears throat> Who's just, you know, a total badass, a very, a very tough top five ranked guy. Chang Sung Jung, a legend. Jose Aldo, a legendary former champion. It's not like he doesn't have the tools. It's just like he hasn't really been able to put his tools to use and win at the highest level. Dober, again, he's never been at the highest level kind of guy himself. He struggled with these type of grapplers in the past. His fight with Benil Dariush, he had Benil Dariush on the ropes and then fight hits the ground and gets armbarred. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of against him here. Minus 185 is not a terrible price tag on Hanato Mikano, but as you mentioned, that submission prop looks pretty juicy and is certainly possible. So I'm going to agree with a lot of your points, and have I have the same pick. All right, we got uh, Randy Ruboy Brown taking on Muslim Salikov. Minus 250 for Brown, plus 210 for the 39-year-old Muslim Salikov. I imagine... This is going to be a an age breakdown, an ageist breakdown from Cody Safdick on this uh, on this third fight down. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like an age is thing, but I suppose Muslim Solikov doesn't have good cardio. He's never had good cardio. And so he pick and chooses with a lot of his strikes. He's not going to go out there and try to wow you. He's going to try to hit one spinning back fist or one spinning back fist or a nasty spinning back kick to the body. One big left hook, one big singular strike. Now, that's the way he's fought pretty much always. But him being 39 years old, if you believe that he's telling the truth, it's not going to change, man. So he needs one shot to knock out Randy Brown. Brown, meanwhile, is one of these guys that just he touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. He obviously has an, absurd, an absurdly long reach. He's got a massive reach advantage in a lot of his fights. But that jab, that right hand, and very smart feet allows him to just move in and out, move in and out. It reminds me a lot in ways when he fought Francisco Trinaldo, I guess, maybe two years now. Trinaldo's 44, Brown's 32, right? It's not like Trinaldo in his prime wouldn't crush Randy Brown. Because he would. He would absolutely crush Randy Brown in his prime. The thing is, is that he's not fighting these guys in their prime. He's fighting them on the tail end, right? So he can, he's got the speed advantage over them. He can move, stay out of the distance, and then just land that jab, land that kick. Solikov has to knock him out. His win condition is KO. Generally, how he wins is with that KO. He's shown a few wrinkles in his game from time to time. He'll he, If you get in the clinch with him, because he's got a very rich Sonda background, he's uh, got some pretty good foot trips. He can throw you to the ground from a from a clinch-type situation, mm. but I don't see Randy Brown clinching up with him. Again, stay to the outside and jab. Now, Apex, yeah, maybe that is a factor. Maybe it's a smaller cage. Solikov cuts him off. But in order to cut him off, you'd have to be coming forward and trying to make it happen. I just don't see it happening for him, so... I was stupid enough to take him over Nicholas Dalby, just thinking, you know, maybe Dalby's better days were behind him and Solikov had one more go in him. And he wins the first round. He shows you what makes him at one time an elite level competitor. It shows what made him, you know, an elite level striking athlete. But again, the time the times are changing. He's a little bit slower. He's a little bit more reluctant. And the cardio's not there. Gases after one round with Dalby, gets swarmed up in the second and and, and ends up just losing the fight. Doesn't matter. I, I see in some ways Randy Brown being the same thing. Be hesitant in the first round. Make sure he doesn't land those big shots. But then the longer this thing goes, he should be able to just chip away at him, secure a lead, and, and, and win, a, win a points decision at best. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to take Randy Brown probably by decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to disagree with. He's got a nine-inch reach advantage here. Salikov is obviously... Slower than he used to be. Not a great wrestler. Randy's shown that he's got like half decent jujitsu skills if it does go to yeah. the mat. So it's like, I don't even know if Salikov like really wants to play that game all that much. It's not out of the realm of possibility for him to do it. But obviously, yeah, he's more of a more of a more of a kickboxer, more of a striker, and a low volume one at that. Um, it's gonna be hard for him to break uh, you know, break the pocket. He's going to eat a whole bunch of stuff from the outside range, I imagine, because that's how Randy Brown... Randy Brown, one thing that he does do well is, like, he uses his tools pretty well. Like, he punches people at the end of that 79-inch reach. Um, and him by... Yeah, Randy Brown by decision. I mean, it's plus 120, plus 125. Like, definitely gets you off of that money line. But a 39-year-old Muslim Salikov, like, I'm kind of... I don't know. The market hasn't really moved on it. It's like, I think they kind of set that plus 120, like, pretty accurately. That would be my pick as well, but it's not one that I'm, like, rushing to to bet at the books that have released props at this point in the week. Uh, maybe somebody else will open something a little bit more, a little bit more tasty later in the, later on the week. I'll drop a little sprink on it. Moving on down, we've got Natalia Silva taking on Viviani Arujo. Minus 350 for Silva. Viviani can be had for plus 
285. Um, I did throw a little bit on this one. I took Natalia Silva by KO plus 540. I know it's women's straw or women's flyweight, not exactly, you know, a division that historically has tons of finishes and stuff, but like, I don't know. I don't know what they're feeding this this Natalia Silva, but like she is, she, like you looked at her record when she first came into the UFC. You know, six. Well, now she's sixteen five and one, but it's just like you're kind of a little bit surprised, right? And obviously, she did go to decision last time out against Andrea Lee, but Andrea Lee took an absolute beating in that, and this girl's got all of the tools. To, to get the job done, particularly in the striking. Uh, Viviani Arujo, super, super tough. Frankly, a step down in competition because she's been fighting the people in the upper echelon of the division. I hate the money line. Not not excited about minus 350 for Natalia Silva, but she's shown that she's just got an ever-evolving skill set at this point. So it wasn't a big bet, but plus 540, I was just like, you know, probably unlikely, of course. That uh, that she gets the finish against a tough competitor in Viviani Arujo, but I took a little stab on on the KO prop there. What's uh, what's your take? Yeah, you're more of a gunslinger than I am. I, I am. went with Natalia Silva by decision prop simply because I think she wins this fight. I, I do, and I think that Viviana Arroyo is tough enough, and she's proven that she can fight high level competition. Like she's tough enough to take those shots. Teresa Blada made it to the third round. You know, I think she should be okay, but. Uh, yeah, I just I don't like the money line, so I'm I'm chasing a better line than that minus three fifty, and so you're forced to kind of choose a prop, and I decide to go with the decision. Uh, as you mentioned on the regional scene, it doesn't really look like there's a whole lot to see. She hasn't fought the best level of competition. She doesn't look like anything special, and then she jumps into the UFC and she's a totally different athlete. But if you look at her last fight on the regional scene to her fight in the UFC, it's almost a three year gap. Like she fights as she's twenty two years old. And then she comes back and she fights Jasmine Jessa Devisius as a 25-year-old. And Paul, I mean, the results are certainly there. She can do it all. Very physically strong, excellent striker, speed combinations, moves well, good footwork. Um, 26 years old now. I mean, she hasn't even entered the prime of her career, but she's racking up some nice wins. Now, the win over Jasmine Jessa Devisius, very nice one. The one over Teresa Blada, like she's so young and one-dimensional. The one with Victoria Leonardo, you can't even call her one-dimensional because she doesn't have one dimension. Uh, she has no dimension. She's no-dimensional. But that win over Andrea Lee, like, and the way to beat Lee is take her down. Everybody that beats Lee takes her down. Because if you want to have a kickboxing match with her, she's live in any situation. But she handily beats her up as well. I really like what I see from her. Same thing, 26 years old, hasn't even reached that prime. And the results are already starting to speak for themselves. So she's someone that's definitely going to move into contender status and probably be higher than minus 350 over a lot of the girls in the division. So... You know, the time's to jump on her now. Now, she does have power, no doubt about it. But the Teresa Blado fight, again, it made it to the third round. And I don't think Blado's all that good. Victoria Leonardo's really bad. And it's a spinning back fist. You know, it's like a, it's a crazy, you know, move that lands. I think Vivi's been in there with tough competition. She's gone five rounds with uh, Alexa Grosso. She's fought Amanda Hebas. She fought Caitlin Chukagian. I can't say any of those girls are power punches for the record. But again, she's been in there with that highest level. And for the most part, done fairly okay with herself. But she's so inconsistent. Like the first half of her UFC fights, she is a two-round fighter. Ah, Maybe not even a two-round fighter, but you can get a round and a half, maybe two rounds out of her, and then she flat gasses in the third. And then she fought Alexa Grosso for five rounds. She landed 126 significant strikes and two takedowns over a former world champion. And Alexa Grosso wasn't at the time, but you know what I'm saying, quality opposition, in a five-round fight and didn't gas out. 
And then since then, she's back in three round fights and like the cardio is out there. She's 37 years old now. She's 11 years older. Again, it's just a situation of I don't see it necessarily getting any better. So it's a step up for Natalia Silva. And it's a, a good opponent to give her some rounds and show her some looks. But expect a competitive first round, a less competitive second round. And then Paul's props live on the table in that third round. Natalia Silva maybe catches her as she's fatigued and as this young you know, hungry fighter that's coming at you that does have crazy moves like spinning back fists and does have, you know, three-round cardio all day. Like, yeah, then Paul's props live. I'm hoping beat her up the third round, let her survive. She survives, doesn't matter. But uh, 29-28 at worst, you drop the first round. 30-27 more likely. Yeah, 12, 12 to 1 best price on, on uh, Natalia Silva round three. We'll see if somebody else finish? has a Round three knockout. I didn't got. I didn't specify because you know uh, it would be twenty to one is the best price for a round three knockout. But <laughs> well, then yeah, I think that's sometimes you run into like you know one t- fighter's tired and you got you know hashtag armbar from guard like these kind of things happen in MMA. So I don't know. I don't really go too crazy with like picking the exact unless it's like one of those. Unless it's somebody that just legitimately has shown like no submission skills ever, right? Um, I usually try to avoid doing it myself, but you know, I, I imagine like obviously by KO seems a lot more likely if she does get her done, which is obviously pretty unlikely. Moving on down, we've got uh, Elias or Elias Ali Shkrab Kizriev taking on Mahmoud Muradov, minus one fifty for Kizriev. Plus 130 for Muradov, who you got. Yeah, so Kurziev, in ways similar to Natalia Silva, in that there's just some massive layoff in the middle of his career. So do you make a ton of improvements? Probably, you know, were the injuries enough to bar you from competing or bar you from training? You don't really know. The difference is she comes back and she's 25 years old and hits some hell of a run and is going to be a contender. And Liskarov's got tons of talent, but he's 33 years old and certainly his body's a little bit banged up, so... Uh, you know, the internet likes to call him fat Habib and the guy can wrestle, man. He's got the skill set of guys that you would like. It's just, there's so many pullouts. He signed to the UFC off a win on the contender series four years ago. Wins on the contender series four years ago, by the way, fight lasts 50 seconds, takedown, back, take rear naked choke 50 seconds. This is our kind of guy, Paul. His last name is Aliskarov, Alishkov Aliskarov, undefeated Russian, uh, got the game, he loves to grapple. You love it. You love to see it. So they sign him, of course. He pulls out of a fight with Wellington Terman. Well, the fight got canceled. Then he got COVID cancellations with Kyle Doukas. Then his fight with Alicia DiCirico, he pulls out. They rebook him versus Magomed Magomedov. He withdraws. They book him against Dianis Tulin. That fight goes down, and it's the same thing, dude. Two easy money takedowns, rear naked choke. Did a guy like Dennis Chulin, who's massively limited in wrestling and grappling, last a little too long? Shit, maybe, maybe. But but all the same. Then they book him against Jacob Alcoon and he pulls out again. So I don't think he's 100% health-wise. Again, he is 33 years old, had some reoccurring knee issues, can wrestle, can wrestle all day. But at some point, you're going to start to run into some murky waters of like how much faith, how much confidence could you have in the guy? Now, Makman Muradov has a scary name as well, but... Uh, He's born in Tajikistan. He grew up in Czech Republic. He spent many, many years in Las Vegas at Floyd Mayweather's gym. Like, he's not your cast iron 
Russian, I think that you can get behind. Uh, again, good technical boxing, lots of regional show experience, shows lots of knockouts, but in the UFC, he's not been super active and the results aren't necessarily there. 33 years old. I keep going back to that Gerald Mearshart fight, right? This is a fight you should win all day. Mearshart's got massive durability issues. Muradov is a nice technical boxer. He's got big power. He's got good takedown defense. He's got all the tools to beat Mearshart. Again, another case of the longer the fight goes, these guys tend to gas out. They tend to fall apart. And he's a prime example. Ends up gassing out, ends up getting choked out by Gerald Mearshart in the second round. Very next fight against Kyle Barahao. Barahao is just a far better grappler. So Barahao only actually scores one takedown, and yet he gets to all the advantageous positions he wants the entire time. He landed 12 significant strikes. Barahao did. It was a 14 to 12 strike. He just controls them effortlessly the entire time. So that's telling me exactly what I need to know. We got a boxer guy, Muradov, with some heavy power in his hands, but the grappling's not there. And again, he's not old. He's 33 years old. I'm not, I'm not saying he's some of these older fighters on the card we've talked about. I'm not saying Muradov's old. It's just maybe it's a little bit old to shore up your wrestling to an elite level. So he beats Brian Barbarain in his last fight, but Brian Barbarain is fighting up two weight classes mm -hmm. and is at the end of the rope. So is it that nice of a win? I'm not 100% sure. And for the first time, he was the one taking Barbarain down. Took him down 13. Downs. He couldn't hold him down. Couldn't hold down a ballooned up Pretty lightweight bad. for the life of him. But but just suddenly was like, I don't even want to strike. I don't even want to counter strike. I'm just going to wrestle the whole time. So if your game plan is wrestle Aliskarov, I don't think it's going to go very well. If the plan is go back to your boxing and try to box him up at range, again, we're in the apex. And this Russian homie don't need to go far to cut off the cage and get a hold of you. Can he fight multiple rounds? I don't know. He's banged up. He's fought once in four years. He's 33. Uh, but, but is it enough to take Muradov down and pin him down and hold him down and have his way for a couple rounds? I think so. I honestly think so. So I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him. And uh, I've been calling him Aliskarov. It's Aliskarov, sorry. But uh, Kiziev, yeah. The, the inconsistencies, the time off the injuries, it's all worrisome. But if we're looking at this for a style clash, and that's what it is at the end of the day, yeah, he's got the style to beat Murudov, who's been less than impressive, to be honest. Now, the market loves Murudov. Like, this was minus 225 um, when it opened, and uh, people have just been pounding, pounding that side. I don't really necessarily agree with it. Yeah, the Brian Barbarina fight never really showed me anything, and, like, all of his other previous fights is... He looked pretty helpless against Kyle Baraglio, uh, who I think, I mean, his his style is going to mimic at least what Kizriev is going to try to do in the first couple of rounds. Um, it's going to be take you down, hold you down, you know, make it ugly. Um, yeah, no, I like I like Kizriev as well. Kizriev by sub, I suppose, is my preferred method, but the market keeps kind of moving to make it much more playable on the money line. Um, Ali Scrab is definitely the pick for me as well. Um, yeah, you know, without, you know, obviously he's got like some concerns and stuff, but yeah, what there hasn't really been too much impressive over the course of Mahmoud Muradov's career here. Like he, I guess knocking out Andrew Sanchez, but it's like, we always kind of knew Andrew Sanchez is, that was kind of his kryptonite. Is that like he, his third, chin, third round knockout? Yeah, his chin is, is very, very chin is very, very questionable. It always kind of has In the third been. round. Trevor Smith, like third round as well. Um, yeah, Ali Scrub. Maybe round three gets pretty ugly for him um, if it gets to that type of point. But like, I expect Ali Scrub at least to get 
takedowns early. He is undersized for the division. Maybe that's why the market's kind of doing this. Like he's like five foot eight. Probably could make he's, welterweight. It's going he's to be fat Khabib. Paul, come on, he's got. It's do going a to be hard. Like, it, yeah, like it's going to be hard to because like Macklin Murdov is six foot two. Like he is a full sized middleweight for sure. So that could be a bit troublesome for Ali Scrab. But um, yeah, I'm going to lean on the wrestling here as well. Ali uh, Scrab. Round three if you were- is definitely not live. It's probably in the first couple of rounds if he gets a sub. Alex grab by sub um, would be like my first kind of lean, obviously, in the first couple of rounds. If you get into round three, I'm, I'm definitely shook at that point. What were you going to say? I look at maybe the live betting prop. If you were into Murudov, is that you know the first round is going to be his toughest round. You know it's going to be competitive. If he lasts and he survives and Kirziev starts to fall apart, then, yeah, that's where he wins. But you'll get a way better live plus money if he's getting beat on for around a round and a half and you still think he can come back and make it happen, especially if you were chasing like a third round kind of scenario. But uh, yeah, that's not enough for me to move my pre-fight pick, but this is probably a good bet, a better live betting fight than it is pre-betting fight. That's probably a pretty good point. All right. We got uh, Gilbert Urbina taking on Charles Radke. Urbina, a minus 200 favor. Radke can be had for plus 170. Who you got? Man, everyone needs to boo Charlie Radke, man. This one was... <laughs> Just god-awful. So Radke's made a career out of himself out of just being an entertainer. He's not that good. He's really not that good. But he'll come at you, and he'll make it a good fight. He's a fun, entertaining type guy. Again, 33 years old, not old, but it's just it's old to be jumping into the UFC and having, you know, less than 10 fights pro experience. He was 3-3 three and three as of two years ago. Three years ago, this guy's got a 50-50 record. His loss is not all that good. Gets knocked out by Justin Montalvo in the second round. His winning streak, again, guys, not that good, but he's entertaining. So the UFC brings him in to fight uh, Blood Diamond, Mike Matheta, in his backyard under the pretense that this is a fun fight. Radke's ultra-limited, 33, but he likes to bang me. He likes to stand in the pocket. He likes to come forward. He likes to throw hands. And instead, he decides to just, I'm going to lean on Blood Diamond, Mm -hmm. take the easiest path to victory, Make the worst fight possible. You shouldn't really be in the UFC to begin with. You're here to have a banger. I'm not saying it's, I'm going to come in here and lose. You could win a banger. Have a banger. And he was one for six on takedowns and had like 13 minutes of cage control time. Just the worst fight you've seen in a long time, man. Yeah. So, so now he's in a weird spot. He's not that good to begin with. He was a journeyman as a few years ago. He probably shouldn't be in the UFC to begin with. Um, he, he couldn't really take down Blood Diamond, which would be concerning, and he completely opted to throw his striking out the window in that fight altogether. So is he a striker? Is he a grappler all of a sudden? Did he make, it, make these massive improvements? To me, he's a little bit undersized for the division as well. None, none of it's really all that good. Gilbert Urbina, meanwhile, he's still young, 27 years old, and he's making improvements. Was he on the Ultimate Fighter? Not that good. Comes into the UFC, a couple bumps, a couple bruises here and there. But ultimately, man, I think he's putting it together quite well. And then you look at his uh, his fight with Brian Battle. Loses by a uh, rear naked choke in, like, the finale, I suppose. He came in as a replacement. But, man, he showed some good stuff. He's striking quite well. He landed 45 significant strikes for two rounds. Landed the two takedowns. Again, this is a young, developing fighter. Not ready to take on top 15 guys. You could make the argument probably shouldn't be in the UFC either. But the way it is now... UFC is full of LFA level guys. It's full of Bellator level guys. It's it's it, it's open. So I'm not faulting. It's that they need to match him with that level of guy. So they give him Orion Koski, who's god awful. Orion Koski, god awful. 
But Orion Cossey's god-awful, but he's like a three-minute guy. He'll give you a hard three minutes. Man, Urbina looked good the whole time. Outstruck him when he wanted to. Way faster. Very competent. Uh, lands a couple nice takedowns in that fight. Beautiful kick to finish off. Like what you're seeing out of him. Like that he's developing. If Radke comes out as classic Radke and decides to bum rush him, Urbina can take a hell of a punch. He's younger. He's got more durability. He's faster. And he can strike. So if Radke goes back to what he used to be, I think Urbina sleeps him. If Radke comes in and just tries to pin Urbina up against the cage the whole time, it's an effective strategy. It's a boring, but it's a very effective strategy. But again, that might work on Blood Diamond. I don't think it's going to work on Urbina, a guy that, again, took Koski down twice. Koski has a little bit of college wrestling experience, so he's not terrible in that department, especially early. Taking him down early counts for something. So Urbina's not out of depth. Even the loss to Brian Battle doesn't look that bad, considering Brattle is pretty decent in his own right. So... I think he finds a way to get it done. Is it going to be the prettiest fight going? Maybe not. Charlie Radke's usually in fight of the night every time. I don't know what happened to him in that debut. Maybe he just, he just wanted, wanted to, to get paid. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to win. And if that's the mindset for this fight, who knows what happens. But in both scenarios, I think Urbina still ends up getting the job done. So so sign me up. Yeah, I think like that's that strategy against uh, Blood Diamond is going to be pretty hard here. Um, like Blood Diamond is... I mean, let's face it. He's only in the UFC because he's Israel Adesanya's buddy, right? Like he was on that card. He's got a cool name. With a cool name, he's he's grinded. He's he, they did like the the Asian tour of kickboxing together over the years. And obviously, he's been working on his game, but it's like incredibly, incredibly limited. Somebody with his record doesn't usually end up at this level um, unless they have a buddy, right? We've seen a few of them over the years. Who was the guy that like the Diaz brothers got into the UFC? Chris Avila. No, there, there was him, but there was another guy who was like who got like literally deaded. It was really bad. Oh, Sano. Uh, yes, Sano? Mar- yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That guy had no Call business. Him. Like that was bad. That was like right. That was negligence letting that guy into the <laughs> octagon. Um, these things happen, but it's like. When you look at like the size of these guys, um, Gilbert, Gilbert Urbina is six foot three, hundred and seventy pounds. Like on fight night, you know, taking on uh, a Radke who is five foot nine, probably doesn't cut very much weight to get down to uh, or to get down to one seventy. It's like there's probably going to be like a fifteen twenty pound difference between these guys. I would guess. On fight night, which would lead you to believe that it's like it's go- if you want to have that game plan against a better technical fighter who's on the up and up, his losses in the Ultimate Fighter house against guys who have proven to be pretty decent, Trishan Gore and uh, and Brian Battle, uh, B- Battle particularly is like looking like he's really turning a corner in his career. Um, I think you're gonna be in for a, a rough, rude awakening when you can't really push a guy who's considerably big, a full weight class bigger than you uh, around. So it's going to be a tough, tough ass for Charles Radke. Uh, I, I'm with you. I like Gilbert Urbina. Uh, we got Meatball Molly McCann taking on a Diana Belbita. Minus 260 for McCann, plus 220 for Belbita. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, the rematch that nobody, and I mean quite literally nobody asked for, but uh, here we are. Um it was Balbita's debut, I'm pretty sure, when she came into the UFC, she fought Molly McCann. So, so much has changed since then. But in a lot of ways, this fight will probably play out 
close-ish to that. I'm going to take the dog money on Belbita, but close-ish to that. In that, Diana Belbita is a better kickboxer. Fact. I mean, she's longer. She's got a better reach. She's more technical. She's got the nasty leg kicks. Molly McCann has bad technical boxing, but at her best, yeah, in the pocket, inside the pocket, boxer. They call her meatball. She's got short little arms. But she can fight you in a phone booth. She'll have some success. If this thing stays at range, Belbita chews her up again. It's Molly McCann's ability to use that wrestling, which she's been very effective with in her wins. That ability to, to, to chain up the wrestling, come forward, pressure, fight you for a hard 15 minutes. That's what makes her live. That's what allowed her to take Belbita down the last time. That's where Belbita's been struggling a lot in her losses is that ability to stay upright. So McCann's live to do exactly what she did the last time. The thing is, to me, who's improved more since that Belbita fight? Because McCann's made no improvements. She fights the same way now that she did when she was in Cage Warriors as the champ over there. She comes forward. She tries to box you up. She, if you have zero wrestling, she will take you down. If you have some wrestling, you will take her down. Bad in scrambles. Likes to grapple, but generally getting submitted. It's a bad look. So you look at Molly McCann, right? Um, kind of just going through the gamut, I suppose. Uh, I guess you don't have to talk about all of her fights, but just it's notable that in her wins, right, she beats Priscilla Cachoeira because she got the two takedowns, right? She fought Ariana Lipsky. She got the two takedowns. She fought down Belbita. She got five takedowns. Then, then she loses to Taylor Santos. She got taken down five times. Laura Procopio took her down seven times. She beats Junyun Kim because she got the two takedowns. Beats Carolina with the two takedowns. Outside of some crazy spinning back elbow type of maneuver, that's how she is. She's live or die by the wrestling. It's just the wrestling's not that gotten all that good to me. She's going through the motions. Her wins are over... I mean, I guess that win over Lipsky looks decent in the Balbita win, but since then, Jiyun Kim, Luana Carolina, and Hannah Goldie, right? Three-fight winning streak. Kim Barstool Sports comes dead. in. Yeah, and then even if you look at that, uh, was it the Cachoeira fight? Sorry, was uh, it? Yeah, the Cachoeira fight. Her yeah. eye is swollen shut, mm -hmm. and they're That's like, yeah, we're going to stop this, but it's, but it's in England, so they're like, nah, let's just let it go a few minutes. She takes way too much damage. Even in when she's landing tons, she got landed, uh, Priscilla Cachoeira hit her 75 times, right? Even though she got the takedowns on her. Lipsky landed the 68, even though she got the takedowns on her. Diana Balbita landed 98 significant strikes on her, even though she got taken down five times. She got outlanded 113 to 98. Not that big of a margin, even though she got taken down five times. And that's a super young and raw Balbita who hasn't, hasn't just literally fresh off the boat from Romania in Canada with Crew Alin at House of Champions. Like, she's improved a lot since then. The point being with Molly McCann is when she hits that three-fight winning streak, Barstool Sports gets on with her and Patty Pimblett, mm -hmm. and they throw a bunch of money her way. And now, all of a sudden, she's drinking pints, and she's out of shape like Patty, and they're partying it up in the pubs, and she's she talks a whole lot of smack, man. I think it gets to her head. Just like it gets to Patty's head, they think that they're world superstar-level talent, but they're good characters. The talent's not there, man. It's not there. So Patty can win fights, and he does win fights, but but it's like he's a very fadeable guy. And Molly McCann is very fadeable. When they butcher against Aaron Blanchfield, that's a joke. But the fight with Storyolenko, oh man. Like, Storyolenko just tosses her to the ground and arm bars her like nothing. She retires after the fight. It's basically like, I just don't got it in me anymore. And then all of a sudden, you're rising to the occasion to take on Diana Belbita. Again, she's 33. It's not old. But the best days are behind her. They're getting behind her. Belbita, meanwhile, is 27 years old. She's not even coming close to her prime. She's got a long ways to go. Yes, she might get there. 
And you look at her early career, oh man, holes in her game, holes in her game. But then every fight, it's like she shores them up a little bit. She shores them up a little bit. She had a real nice fight against Gloria DePaula, ends up losing a unanimous decision. But you can see she's progressing in the right direction. A nice fight with Maria Oliveira. Again, the striking's there. The volume's there. Her cardio, which was a little bit suspect. She's going to give you a good two rounds now. Maybe a good three rounds. She can get there. The takedown defense is there. She's mixing in offensive wrestling into her game. She, on paper, has no chance against Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And I'll admit, I, I bet fairly heavy on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. But it was a scare. She gave her a go. She landed a takedown on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Two takedowns, sorry. It took her down twice versus one for Karolina. Landed beautiful strikes. Gave her, a, you know, everything she could handle. Starts to fade a little bit the longer the fight goes, sure. But again, she's 27. So these are things that you can shore up. Molly McCann's going to come forward. If this thing stays standing, I think Balbita outstrikes her. If Molly McCann thinks it's going to be as easy to take her down this time as it was the last time, it's not going to. And even the last time, she took her down five times, but she couldn't hold her down. Balbita still got up and landed almost 100 significant strikes on her. And you got a Molly that's one foot in, one foot out. She kind of thinks she's going to retire. The barstool money's not there anymore. Her shine with Patty Pimla's not there anymore. She's on a two-fight losing streak all of a sudden. She's 33 years old. She's been completing some jiu-jitsu grappling tournaments and not winning at those either. If her confidence is low, which it might be, she don't fight like classic meatball, get in your face, make it happen. And if she don't, she's going to lose. So, yeah, Balbita is a live underdog. It's a dog or pass type fight. Well, I'll, I'll take the dog. I didn't need the sell job, to be perfectly honest, Cody. So, like, right as soon as the last card ended, I was a little bit drunk. And I was looking through the board. And I was just like, that number seems bad. And it was only plus 220. I was, I actually didn't think that the mark, I thought this was going to go back closer to like, I figured McCann's going to, because they fought before McCann, it perceived wrestling advantage, obviously took her down five times the first time that they fought. I was aware of all these things, even though I was a little bit, a little bit boozed. Um, but I was just like, yeah, this should probably go off more like minus 170 plus 150. I thought the market was going to move the other way. I probably should have waited because it went up as high as like plus 260. I didn't add more, but yeah, it was the first bet I made this week because you know me, I've been on this show. We've talked about all of, I mean, Belbita's entire UFC career. And I've been out on her every single time until last fight when she took on Carolina. And Carolina's having a bit of a career resurgence, well-rounded, former champion in the division. I don't think that she's got championship caliber. I'm talking about Carolina anymore, but it's like she is turning the corner. She is having a nice little, you know, resurgence in her career. And that was the first fight when I was watching it. I'm like, all right, I think I'm in on Belbita now. We'll see who they match her up against. And sure enough, they match her up against Molly, and they put a big plus 200 price tag next to her. Um, Belbita's longer. I think she showed in the Carolina fight that the wrestling is coming along a lot better, obviously. Like, I'm not going to repeat everything that you said, but yeah, we're reading she got the same. Adrian Woolley. Adrian Woolley's a wrestling coach, Canadian legend, and, mm-hmm. and he was actually a 125-pounder. He's like the original 125-pounder, so... Her wrestling is definitely in better hands. But yeah, I, I just take you back to the last time they fought. It was a 29-year-old versus a 23-year-old. Yeah. Who does that favor? 29-year-old all day long. This time, it's a 33-year-old versus a 27-year-old. Who does that favor? Yeah, I'm thinking Balbina's two and four in the UFC, right? Not great. No. But making the improvements that are required to get to three and four, to get to four and four, to start. Carolina's a former champion, right? Fight those kind of girls and be competitive with them. 
Molly McCann just got, uh, I guess the girl's got a nasty arm bar on her, but still, she just got arm barred from guard, essentially, in the first round. Before that, Blanchfield's an absolute murderous murderer, so I'll give her a pass on that one, but... Yeah, yeah, she uh, maybe maybe some regression out of her, I guess you could put it. So yeah, we're on the same page. I like that you're on that too because that was yeah, the first bet something... I made, Cody. It was like literally, man, I was just man. like that number's dumb. I thought she showed she showed that she's made massive improvements against Carolina. Like I remembered that vividly. That I was like, hey, Carolina won. The stats are gonna like you know, you know, they they the stats look like Carolina won very 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 cleanly. But like I thought she showed a lot of improvements in that matchup against an opponent that's much harder than uh, than Molly McCann. And in that fight against, I think, like, Carolina was, like, minus 150. It's just, like, so she lost to Carolina, and then now she's a massive underdog against Molly? No, thank you. It's, you the, little- it's the CF dot model to yeah. the nth degree. Diana Belbita, let's go. I'll give you, I'll give you one last little little hot uh, greasy theory i haven't done greasy theory in a long time okay okay so so down is from romania and in romania they're very very big into sports right so they'll cultivate youth and be like you'd be a good soccer player you'd be good at this you'd be a good fighter so she gets cultivated to like you'd be a good fighter and uh, learns kickboxing very popular in romania they got excellent kickboxing program she's a good striker right very young they don't have the other tools to make her great mma fighter so she had fought for ksw she had fought in rxf she had gotten a decent record together but Kruelin, legendary coach in Canada, also Romanian, he's got the connections over there. So they're like, listen, this girl's good, but you you will be able to take her to the next level. So they send Balbita over. She gets here. Her life to that point has just only been combat sports. It's just been combat. That's all she knows. Comes over here. She's with the best coach in Canada, as far as I'm concerned. The guy has just produced a number of high-level quality fighters, kickboxers. He's done it all. He works on a number of boards. Very smart guy. She's in very good hands, right? But it's a developmental period because she still needs to learn how to wrestle. She still needs to learn how to grapple. Yeah, she knows how to strike, but you got to tighten it all up, polish it. And now this is MMA striking. So a little bit more of a learning curve, but she's come here now to only do combat sports. That's why she's here. So Kruel Lin is obviously a great coach. He's obviously, he's also a really good cut man, right? He's a UFC cut man. When the UFC comes to Canada, he does some of their Australia shows. Excellent cut man. So she is now a cut man under him, right? So I'm at the Unified card. It's on the Friday right before the UFC in Toronto, right? And uh, she's the cut man, dude. Like, she worked all of the fights. Guy's got his face busted. She comes in. She's working the cuts. It's like this is her weekend. Not only is she training all the time. Not only is, just, is she fighting. Not only just, is this is all she's ever known since she was a kid. It's like on her weekend free spare time, she's wrapping hands and, and closing cuts while she's in training camp for her own fight. And then on top of that, she only dates these pro fighter guys. Terrence McKinney, Cameron Van Camp. Literally everything about this girl is combat sports. It's fighting. She's in it to win it. Yeah, it's a slow start. 27, better getting better. Uh, Balbita. How could you not like Balbita? So hopefully she goes and scores us an underdog uh, ticket. But Pat's model, you don't even have to like the underdog and it cashes. This one, it's like you actually like it. So hopefully we can make the whole thing come together nice here. And it's like, I know people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, Canadian. Well, Canadian women on the last card, on the Toronto card, they went 2-0. The it was the men that went 0-7. <laughs> so Canadian women are, are on top of things uh, right now.
you you laughed at me uh, two weeks ago, and I said Jasmine Jasta Davisius is the highest ranked Canadian, or like the best in terms of the ranking. She was the best Canadian. You're she kind of like, dominated Kachuera. What other Canadian dominated. is ranked in the top ten and factors in against some of the higher level guys? But oh, that one, that one, that one pained me. I didn't have Malcolm Gordon, but he's like a hair away from possibly winning. Um, Mike Mallott is like two minutes away from winning. Uh, Brad Gatona, I thought won. Jordan was announced as a winner and didn't win. Series City, I thought won. Like Canadians looked really close, bad, but, but again, it's it's the it's the bounces of sports, and it's not just fighting where there's these crazy bounces. It's quite literally every sport, right? But uh, I think fighting's a, a little safer than these baseball, hockey, whatever. This they don't care. It's game eighty four of the regular season. Like what's or, I don't know. That'd be baseball, I guess. But other sports, but like game forty, game forty five, like, they don't give a shit. These guys. They're only getting one small paycheck. And if they win, they get another small paycheck. Like they need, they need the paycheck. They, they need to win. They need the record. They don't want to stain them. It's not, oh, oh, we were nine and seven last season. It's like, no, no, no. That, that seven losses stays with you for life. So at least they're going to try to go out there and give you to the best of their abilities. But like any other sport, just so much swing, right? Mm-hmm. Hundo P. Hundo P. All right. We got Azat Maxim taking on Charles Johnson. Minus 220 for Maxim, plus 185 for Maxim, or for uh, Johnson, who you got here, bud. Yeah, it seems like death taxes and Charles Johnson getting taken down. I'm not saying he can't win fights. It's just he's going to get taken down mm-hmm. every single time. And it seems like it's chain wrestling. Like he's generally good at stuffing the first takedowns, the first two takedowns. It's if you are willing to stick to that game plan. There's just going to be tons of opportunities to take him down. And it's been across the board. Makayev, 12 takedowns. Ah, but he's a crazy Russian. You give him the pass. Zumagulov took him down. Jimmy Flick took him down. Hadi Osborne took him down three times. Cody Durden took him down 11 times. And then that last fight with Rafael Estevam, it taken down three more times. So in that one, he was scrambling. Wasn't Actually, I'm not going to say writing's on the wall. He's not old by no means. His problem is, right? This is my theory on him. His problem is, the UFC is not super high on him. As you said, all of his fights have been in the apex. He's rocking a two and four record in the UFC. And most of his fights are going to decision. So he's not in their eyes, the most entertaining guy. He's losing these fights. He's fighting in the apex, but he's not doing himself any favors by taking these fights on a month's notice. He keeps jumping in last minute. And as a result, the cardio is not quite there. And because he's a guy that relies on giving up so many takedowns, but constantly scrambling, constantly getting back up, constantly putting pressure on you. He needs to be in shape in order to fight to the best of his abilities. And the fights on short notice are killing him. So the Audie Osborne fight, or Ode Osborne, Ode Osborne is the worst of all of his opponents in terms of wrestling, right? Like, he's got the weakest wrestling. And yet, whenever Ode wanted to, he took him down. In the third round, as Ode tends to do, he flat-out gasses. That was Charles Johnson's chance to put his foot on the gas and maybe make something happen for himself. But he doesn't, because he himself is tired as well. You don't usually see it, but it's the short-notice reality of it. And he still gets taken down in the third round. So, bad fight. Cody Dern, he's a good wrestler, right? But the 11 takedowns, he dominated. He didn't tire either. Cody Durden's known to tire, didn't tire there. Clowned on Charles Johnson. That Rastoval Estevam fight, again, he the scrambling ability wasn't quite there. So now he's taking on Azat Maxim, 17 and 0. Kid's going to be a serious problem. Kazakhstan likes to wrestle. And beyond that, he's replacing Nate Maness on three and a half weeks' notice. So, like, is he in shape? Of course. He's an athlete. Is he in fight shape? No, probably not. I can't see the hard sparring being there. I can't see the rigorous wrestling being there. He's always struggled in that department to begin with. You know, it certainly makes you it makes you wonder. Now, if you want it to be like, well, Maxim didn't look good in his debut. Fair. Did not look good in his debut. 
What I, what I would suggest to that is again, he's only 28, so he's not someone I don't think is is uh losing it by no means. He should be getting better, but it's a giant talent gap from fighting 16 fights on the regional scene in Kazakhstan and in uh you know parts of Russia all over. It's a big talent jump to do that to now you're in the UFC and the bright lights and you know American competition and he draws Tyson Nan, right? So people will say, well, Nam was one of these old guys and Nam this and that. Nam's from Hawaii, but he spent over a decade in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Oregon, training with Team Quest and the remaining guys from Team Quest. His takedown defense is good. It's really good. Mm -hmm. It's always been good. You can watch all of his fights. Like the guy is an absolute brick wall. Absolute brick wall of a man. To cut you off, literally yeah. nobody until Azat Maxim, I'm looking at the stats right now, Nobody had ever taken Tyson Nam down before. Yeah, and, I, and I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his work. He knocked out Eduardo Dutudantes in a shooto fight in Brazil, like, oh, yeah, probably 10 years ago. And right there, he, like, jumped on the radar. And then he didn't fare so well in World Series of Fighting. But, like, the two consistents about him is he got nasty power for a flyweight, and he is an absolute brick wall of a man to take down. He's probably got the, him and BJ Penn, got the best takedown defense of any Hawaiian ever, all times. They're not known for the takedown defense. These boys can wrestle. At least takedown defense. These boys can wrestle. Maxim got two takedowns. That's good and on its own. But Maxim went two for 11. The 11 is more important to me because he chain wrestled the whole time. He stuck to the game plan the whole time. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't get uh, lose concentration. He stuck with it. And that's what makes a good fighter. So again, 28, young, ring IQs there, willing to chain wrestle, far superior wrestling skill set, taking down Charles Johnson, leaps and bounds easier than taking down Tyson Nam. Nam three times the amount of power that Charles Johnson has. So like if you're not getting cold cocked by him, chances are you'll be okay if Johnson happens to land something. And second fight in the UFC, he'll be a lot more comfortable. He knows the routine. He knows the experience. He knows the weight cut. He knows the press conference. He knows all these things. You're going to see a much better version of him versus the same old Charles Johnson that's taking this fight on three and a half weeks notice. So got to be maxing all day. And I, I would love to chase that maxing by decision. Charles Johnson's hard guy to put away. Uh, if, but but play, is that though. getting... Yeah, sub, and that's the thing. Am I getting greedy? Am I getting greedy? Because this kid's super talented. He's got a full training camp. He's going to look way better in his sophomore outing. Against a short-notice guy. And his, his styles make fights. And his style trumps Charles's. Uh, Gotta go with Maxim here, for sure. Yeah, Maxim was a guy I really liked when I watched his tape before his debut. I don't even think I even, like... I, I picked him. I had him, in like, in a parlay because I, I really liked the tape that I saw in the regional scene. Didn't look too deep into Nam and the fact that, like, I think that stat of him never being taken down in the UFC, literally, like, I just kind of discovered it right now when you were talking. Um, so it kind of makes sense why it was, like, a little bit of an ugly uh, first, like, debut. It's like you saw this guy in the regional scene. It's like he seems to have all the skills... Uh, the wrestling, the striking, everything's kind of on point. Um, yeah, Charles Johnson, yeah, let's face it. It's like he's really, really struggled uh, stopping people from taking him down. Um, he hates the apex probably for good reason because he wants to fight at range. He doesn't want to get taken down. And it's, no a small, it's a small cage. And you don't have fans booing, right, when you're on top hanging out in mount. Like, it is, frankly, for him, and I do kind of feel bad for him. We were talking about it off the top of the show. But it's like, it is a horrible swap for him because his takedown defense is very lacking. And you don't have people in the crowd booing 
which sometimes gets uh, in, influences the ref to get the uh, get the fight stood up. So literally everything works against him here. Way less angles to get away from the takedowns. Maxim, Maxim probably too. by decision, but I think the subs in play as well. Money line is probably the way to go about it. Uh, yeah, I also I also find the apex definitely helps uh, grapplers. Two reasons: one, smaller cages are to get the takedown. Two, right when you're in like the big arena and you're you're on top of this guy, what you hear is like. And then when you're in the apex and you're on top of the guy, you hear like left underhook, all elbows are all there. It's so clear. You can get your corner man's just right there. There's yep. nobody. Uh, you get perfect crystal clear guidance. Now, most fighters will tell me like, I still didn't hear anything. Like they black out and rage out. But when you're kickboxing, when you're banging it out, like that's when you black out and don't really hear anything. When you're on top of a guy and it's quiet setting and there's no booing and there's no cheering and his corner is like tired of being like, Charles, me, I'm trying to get up. Like, what? Why can you tell him? Yeah, going to be a problem. So, yeah, I, we're on the same page, 100 percent here. And we got Themba Garimbo taking on Pete Rodriguez. Themba Garimbo, a minus two fifty favorite. Rodriguez can be half for plus two ten. Um, Garimbo's lucky that, like, that uh, that The Rock, you know, kind of discovered him. I feel like they're giving him a nice little. Little setup here. It's like I think that Garimbo's, you know, grappling could definitely be exploited. Um, but they're giving him a guy that literally has no interest in that, is much shorter. Literally, Pete Rodriguez really all he's got is seems to be uh, some power in his hands, but grappling is non existent. Bemba should be able to utilize what I would see as a grappling advantage in this fight. Uh has half decent half decent submission skills obviously is super super long um he was already in this spot he was getting ready to they were giving him Kiefer Crosby who had one fight in the UFC and uh that was a set and <laughs> yeah and was set up against another one of Israel Adesanya's you know teammates and Kevin Juset. um uh, and we, you know, we saw the writing on the wall with Kiefer Crosby. It's like, what is this guy? This guy was losing fights in Bellator, not looking good in those fights in Bellator. What is he doing on this stage? So they were setting Femba up and Kiefer Crosby drops out. So, I mean, they found kind of who was, who was next up, next available. I can see why it's a big fan. I don't want to like attack this number by any stretch of the imagination, um, I don't think his grappling great. I don't think really much of Themba Garimbo's skill set is like, you know, quote unquote UFC level, but I think the improvements he's been making will probably shine in a matchup like this against somebody who can't take advantage of him in the grappling department. So Themba is the pick. I don't think I'm going to bet this fight though. What about you? Yeah, I mean, so Thumb has got a six-inch reach advantage, but by no means do I want to see him use it. Like, get to wrestling, get on top of him and make it happen. But, yeah, he's got a good story. And and as much as, like, I, The Rock can't take the credit for discovering him, people don't want to admit this. Colby Covington actually was the guy that gave him a hand up. You know, he would pay for meals. He would help pay for some of his training. They both trained at MMA Masters in Florida. And Colby was, like, a big help to this guy. He used that, some resources. Not saying Colby saved the guy's life and changed his life, but, like, he used that. That became a, a story in the media. Oh, Colby had helped this guy out. Not that bad of a guy. Not that racist of a guy. Themba went on record to thank him and be like, he's actually a really good dude. From that, he gets that win over AJ Fletcher. 
or sorry, he lost to AJ Fletcher, uh, but he he uh, won the fight over Takashi Sato, 327, striking looked good, grappling looked good, clean win. Now you hear his story. He's a 33-year-old fighter from Zimbabwe, been fighting out of South Africa for 10 years, completely broke, no money in his account, trying to make it happen, the American dream. So The Rock comes on board. They bought him a house. Dana White had given him some, some resources. To me, he's like my Latana Chibutsi in that, he didn't come from like a super privileged background. Like he comes from Zimbabwe, which is like a very small, I wouldn't say it's a small country, but considering where a lot of the money in Africa is, like if you're fighting out of South Africa, if you're fighting out of Nigeria, if you're fighting out of uh, some of those countries, yeah, there's some more resources available to you, right? I just know he's from, he, he comes over, he moves to South Africa, he fights on the regional scene. He doesn't look good. He's extremely raw, but again, he has no money. What's his training situation like? Nobody knows. Comes to America, gets that MMA Masters. Do you think Colby just feels bad for him? Do you think Colby thinks, hey, man, this guy's an athlete. He's in great shape. He hasn't taken a whole lot of damage. He just doesn't doesn't really have that backing. So it helps the guy out. I didn't think he looked great in his debut against Fletcher. But there was some stuff you could like. Uh, I didn't think he actually looked great in his last fight against Takashi Sato. But there was a massive difference in his confidence, in his ground skills, in his cardio. It was kind of in his striking. He kind of did put it all together. Mm -hmm. So now he has a house, and now there is a good story. And now this guy can afford to eat. He wasn't eating. That's why Colby was buying his meals. He was just like, dude, did you eat today? And it's just like, no. He didn't have the money for it. So like, now you can get a nutritionist, and now you can make a proper weight cut. Now you have a little home. And he still has that dream. He's still hungry to achieve things. You know, you're not out of the woods quite yet. But it, you, you should continuously see a better version. Now, I've shit on a lot of... 33, 37, 39-year-old fighters on the card so far. But he, he would be considered, in my opinion, a young 33 because he doesn't quite have those miles under him quite yet. The fact that they book him in the world's, uh, you would call it the world's easiest fight as far as UFC standards against Kiefer Crosby, and Crosby pulls out, and they're like, who can we possibly get to throw in there against him? Pete Rodriguez would jump out at you. He's got six pro fights, a 5-1 and one record, and he's in the UFC. So he shouldn't be there. He's not old. He's 27 years old. He's still super young. But, I mean, he should be on the regional scene right now getting wins. Instead, he had blasted out 0-1-1 guy, 2-3 guy. There's a one one little win guy. was 5-1. And, and that got him in the UFC. He signed to the UFC with a 4-0 record. But why? Because they needed a warm body for Jack Maddalena. And Jack Maddalena absolutely killed him. Now, you'll give him a pass there because Maddalena's a badass. Pass there all day. Sure. But yet, no, he wasn't ready for the UFC. He wasn't ready for that type of fight. And there's severe limitations to him. He's a brawler. Come forward, swing big shots. But that's it. The ground game's not quite there. The cardio's not quite there. He doesn't really set up those punches. But he's a wild card because he's got massive power. Can't take that away from him. Beats Mike Jackson. That's his one win in the UFC. Mike Jackson. Who would you consider probably to be the second worst welterweight of all times next to cm punk because he beats him behind cm punk because he beats cm punk right so 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 like he would be better than him and outside of that th that'd be it and he knocked him out okay great it was mike jackson dean so barry, the, dean barry bro dean barry dean barry would have beat michael jackson but he, 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 <laughs> win he, by he eye yeah, I know, I know, and I know, then I know. they caught him they were caught him because this is like this is absolutely atrocious so you know pete rodriguez did what he was supposed to do in that fight but this is what's more concerning to me they book him to fight Natan Levy, and he's he's ill. He's sick. Pulls out of the fight, right? Then they book him to fight Natan Levy again, I don't know, two weeks later, because it was like, oh, I'm a little bit sick. They book him again. And he misses weight by, like, seven pounds or something. Fight gets called off. He It's a botched weight cut. 
I don't even know if he officially recorded a weight, but it's like, oh, he's not even big for the weight class, truth be told. Mm -hmm. And it's a bad weight cut. Probably sick from Natan Levy due to weight cut complications. Flat out botches the weight cut his next time out. And now this is the kicker for me, right? Tharimba Garimbo was supposed to fight Kiefer Crosby. So Pete's coming in on short notice, Paul. Guy's already struggling to make weight. Now he's on short notice. There's nothing to love about his game to begin with. I wouldn't rule out first round knockout Pete Rodriguez. That's his win condition. Come forward and just land something, right? He's at a long reach. Sure. Get inside of the reach, overhand right, bang him over the top, done. <laughs> but if that don't happen and he gets taken down, it's Garimbo all day long. So I, I, I can't go Pete Rodriguez. This is an underdogs here and there I'm willing to take a shot on, but that's not one of them. Unless you're chasing long props and you had the Rodriguez first round KO. Yeah, you get a good number yeah. on that. Sure, that's his win condition. But Garimbo, again, we're expecting him to be better. He's got a better training situation, a better life situation, better version of him. The grappling is the key to victory. The six-inch reaches, it doesn't hurt, you know, just to keep him off for a little bit and then take him down. But he's just, I think he's a better fighter than Pete, who I don't expect to be any better, especially on short notice. Yeah, I would Especially because he botched weight cut the fight before that. So like, there's nothing to love about him, really. No, nothing. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Pete Rodriguez by KO1 plus like 550, which is out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, frankly, this fight, like, Garimbo is going to be the pick for me, but like, Garimbo by sub is like plus 135. It's like, that's way shorter. Then I would like because I could see a situation where Garimbo doesn't necessarily. Maybe, maybe we just don't know everything about Pete Rodriguez's submission skills, and Garimbo gets on top and then just like pounds him out. It's just like chasing that down doesn't seem great. I obviously think the fight ends inside the distance. Oh, it seems like when I look through all the props, because you know me, I'm a, like a prop better, particularly. Um, I look through all the props here. They all look pretty, like, it looks all pretty accurate to me. Like, I don't love too much from this fight. I think the books kind of got, kind of have it right, to be perfectly honest, from like a props perspective. Like, plus 135 Garimbo by sub doesn't seem too appetizing to me. So, watch. Now he's going to go out there and make it look really easy, strangle him in like a second, because that's how these things work, Cody. But it's going to be a pass for me, but Gurmbo's the pick. All right, we got Jiung, Young Lee taking on Blake Builder. Minus 140 for Lee, plus 120 for a Builder. Who you got? I'm going to go Jung Young Lee. Uh, I, I, I see why Builder's style would definitely be a problem for Lee. Lee's young. He's very explosive. I'm not sure he can carry that into later rounds, but he's got that ability to close the distance and just catch you with that one flash shot. Builder looks like he's susceptible to getting caught. By that one flash shot. Now, mind you, he's never been knocked out, but you can go and watch a bunch of his fights. He gets rocked. His, his striking defense isn't all that good. Definitely leaky. And he's getting hurt a lot. Now, what I like about him, though, is he's my kind of grittiness. He's usually always coming forward. He's got a decent gas tank. He's applying pressure. He's trying to make it a fight. If you got money on him, he's fighting for your dollar. If you get underdog money on him, Again, he's going to be coming forward trying to win this fight for you. It's the limitations to me that doesn't make him my kind of fighter, right? There's, it's great to press forward and try to grind a guy, but you need to have two things. Cast iron chin, which he don't have. Or good wrestling, which he, he don't have. He currently be rocking a 10% takedown accuracy in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Now, his first fight in the UFC is Shane Young. Now, Shane Young is what you would call a layup. It's a layup for most guys. 
And yet Belder fights him tooth and nail, dude. He took him down uh, once on seven takedown attempts. God damn. Not only that, outstruck him 111 to 80, but got hit a bunch, got rocked a few times. It wasn't like it was a clean win over Shane Young, but he did beat Shane Young. We'll give him that. You know, I should have had more faith in Kyle Nelson because when we broke down that fight, we talked about Kyle Nelson, if anything, was a dog. He's got that dog and training partner, Diana Balbito, for the record. So at least she's got some familiar company on the card as well. And her coaches and everybody, it doesn't matter. Uh, Nelson's got that dog in him. So Builder has got a little bit of a speed advantage and maybe he's got a little bit of a technical boxing advantage um, and on paper should have the wrestling advantage, but it's the same. He can't take down Kyle Nelson. He goes one for, uh, 0 for 3, but those three... Not even close. It discouraged him. It discouraged him to the point where he was like, I don't want to shoot takedowns anymore. And now he's got a Nelson that's still coming forward and still swinging. And, and he knows his durability is not the best. So he's not looking to exchange with him. He's trying to pin him up against the cage the best he can, but that's not engaging. You're not fighting. You're not landing damage. And these apex judges are looking for damage. I think in an arena show, you get away with a little more wrestling and top control because the crowd's going wild and you're going to be subjective to, oh, they're cheering. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's he's holding them down. In the apex, nothing's going on. So when you land those little elbows, when you land those little knees, when you land those short shots, it does mean more. I would say for Blake Builder, holding up a guy against the cage just isn't enough. So the 10% take, the takedown accuracy, that's going to be problematic for me. The fact that I don't think he's got that much durability, it's also problematic for me. Come forward, good. Cardio, good. But he's lacking a few things himself. Jian Lee, meanwhile, he fought on that <clears throat> road to the UFC. It wasn't like the highest level of competition, but I mean, he looked good. Again, very explosive, very athletic, closes the distance well. I don't want to see him use his submission game simply because he'd probably be on the bottom against Blake Builder. So let's just create space, create angles, counterpunch this guy, walk him into one of your shots, and then I think he'd be able to put him forward. The great thing about Builder is that because he's always coming forward and he has suspect defense, the opportunities to land your strikes, they'll be there. They'll present themselves. You just got to be a little bit patient. This kid's not patient for the record. But if he shows a little bit of patience, a little bit of maturity, or even if he just, you know, balls to the walls, throws, land, land that one big shot. And so his fight with uh, that Yisha, um, which is technically his UFC debut, was on Spivak versus Lewis. Uh, and he didn't look that good. But he gave up five takedowns. To me, that was the biggest thing. He still found a way to win the fight. He still landed the better shots even though he was getting taken down. Builder doesn't take him down. This kid lands the better shots. He wins the fight. Builder doesn't take him down. This kid sparks him with a clean shot. He wins the fight. If Builder can just hold him up against the cage the entire time, yeah, then, then maybe the judges score for him. But the fact that Kyle Nelson had that much success of just pushing him away and keeping the fight upright, and for a large part, Shane Young had a lot of success pushing him away and keeping it upright, this Korean kid does the same thing. It's going to be problematic. So I feel like I want to take him, but these are like spots you get burned on. Two lesser than middling level guys. One guy's having a second fight in the UFC. One guy's coming off a loss, having his third fight in the UFC. It's a fairly close money line. It's not the world's most important fight, high stakes wise. You know, maybe you just dog or pass it. And again, I can see Builder winning the fight. But when I play out the 100 scenarios in my head, who's more likely to win the fight? I feel like Lee probably catches Builder more often than not or just lands the better shot to win the decision more often than not. So for that reason, I will take Lee. Yeah, I'm going to take Lee as well. I, I mean, the my most frustrating Blake Builder moment was was that Shane Young fight. Like watching, you know, his fights leading up to Contender Series and watching Contender Series, I was like, this guy looks like, you know, he's 
gonna go out there. He's he, he looks like a guy who's gonna like chase finishes. I ended up betting heavily on the under. And during that fight, I was like, I know he's landed 110 strikes, but it's like none of them were with like real like fight ending intention. And we've seen Shane Young, like some of his other fights recently. It's just like got subbed in round one. Ludovic Klein knocked him out in the first round. Like Ludovic Klein doesn't typically win by finish all that often uh, at this level. Um so yeah, I thought I thought the door was wide open for that to happen, and it just didn't. So, not really sure what to make of like what Blake Builder is going to show up this time. I think I even liked the under against Kyle Nelson too, and like Kyle Nelson, credit where credits due, Crew Allen, your boy, um, has done some good work with him too, because like that was a guy that was like super super chinny hashtag or you know quotation marks. Chinny when he when he first came in here and uh they've really rounded out his skill set pretty well where he doesn't have to rely in there rely on just having to stand and bang and 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 absorb damage like he did maybe when he was a little bit more greener um but yeah I'm gonna go with Lee here lots of finishes early and Blake Builder that Shane Young fight, I know the stats look a lot better than what the performance was as far as I'm concerned. And then, yeah, against against uh, against his last time out there was yeah, just no volume. Like, I don't know what to expect from this guy. So don't love the minus 140. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be Lee for me. Moving on down, we've got uh, Julia Stoliorenko taking on Luana. Carolina minus 130 for Stinko. Plus one ten for Carolina Stinko sub Cody Stinko sub. You know it's crazy. Like I don't have Paul, to say very it? much about this fight. Like you either Correct. play Stinko sub, or my guess you could like get a little bit tricky and try to go with like Luana Carolina by decision. But it's like Stinko's either gonna go out there get the takedowns, and when she does. Her submission skills are great. We saw what happened when uh, Luana Carolina got taken down by uh, what's her face? Uh, by Lipsky. Arian, Arian. Lipsky yeah. got her down and literally grabbed the knee bar immediately. Like it was just clinical once she got the fight to the mat. Um, yeah, it really comes down. Can Julia Ranko get the fight to the mat? If she does, her arm bar is sick. So, Stinko Sub, it's the play. Um, you can do a full-out breakdown. I'm just going to bet Stinko Sub. Plus 205 at one book right now, but I don't think that number is going to last for much longer. So, take it away, Code. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't agree more. It's just so crazy how gambling, I guess, in a nutshell. But Stenko, we, we laugh at this girl every time on the show, Paul. Julia Storlia Stinko because she stinks so bad. Her debut against Leah Letson, she lost. She lost a decision to Leah Letson, if you can imagine that. UFC was like, oh, man, threw, threw up in their mouth three times and cut her. Comes back. Don't know why she goes back. Yana Santos in the world's worst fight. She landed six significant strikes in 15 minutes. It's just a stinker. Loses to Julia Avila. Stinker. Loses to Alexa Davis. She actually looked way better in the Davis fight. Busted her up. Caused a lot of damage. Uh, but still. Bad performance. Beats Jesse Jess Rose Clark, who just retired. Uh, loses to Chelsea Chandler. And then wins over Molly McCann. And now it's like she's pick of the week. 
Isn't that crazy? Nobody likes her. Nobody wants to bet money on her. Styles make bites Paul Shaughnessy. And this one is in her wheelhouse all goddamn day long. So if you're going to give her a pass, most of those girls are good. Avila, Alexis Davis, Chelsea Chandler is okay, I suppose. So it's not like she's had the easiest route. They call her uh, the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey. She's got 10 submission wins. All 10 of them are in the first round. All 10 of them are by armbar. So she is in some ways a one-trick pony. But she actually got pro Lethway experience as well. She can strike. Former Invicta champion. You know, had a hell of a war in her last Invicta fight before uh, coming back to the UFC. So there are actually some things that you can like about her. She's not super old, but she's just very one-dimensional. And I feel like as she's accruing experience in the UFC and obviously accruing um, time in the training room. She's getting better. She's definitely getting better. She's very physically strong. She loves the judo throws. She obviously loves the arm bar. She can bang a little bit in the pocket, but where she's at her best is in the clinch. If you want to clinch up with her, not going to be that good because either you take her down or she arm bars you or she takes you down or she's on top of you. It's just not a great place to be. Whereas she's going to be extremely problematic against a lot of fighters. Luana Carolina probably isn't one of them. Carolina's got volume on her all day, but she's got no physical punching power. Uh, before her fight with Ariana Lipsky, the now, I'm not even going to bring up his name. That guy that stole a whole bunch of money from the community, right? He, he, he had posted this video of her doing push-ups at like a strength and conditioning thing. And she almost couldn't do a push-up. Now I know people will show you video of Israel Adesanya struggling to do push-ups as well. And maybe it's just a really tall, lanky, skinny person type of thing. But Izzy then went on to lose to Sean Strickland and looked like shit. So physical strength definitely is something in a fist fight. And Carolina doesn't seem to have it. She's getting taken down by almost everybody. Um, Pollyanna Batello takes her down. Lupita Godinez had taken her down twice, although her takedown defense looked okay in that one. Molly McCann, two takedowns. Joanne Wood, two takedowns. Ivana Petrovic, two takedowns. And now she beat Petrovic. Is Petrovic botched one of the takedowns and Carolina ended up on top of her. But the wrestling's not there. The physical strength's not there. And she fights like a tall fighter. She's only like five foot six, I want to say. 69-inch reach. She's one inch shorter than Juliana, but has a two-inch reach advantage. She's not like the tallest person, but she fights like a tall person. And as such, if you want to clinch with her, it's very easy. She's not using a jab. She's not moving her feet. She welcomes the clinch. Even the Lupita Godinez, which is by far her best career victory, huge upset. Credible win over a contender in the division. Stuffed more of her takedowns than not. It was still the case of your fighting a girl that was at the time moving up a weight class who, I don't know, fought a very terrible game plan as far as I'm concerned. But beyond that, it's like she still gave up the two takedowns. Um, and whenever Lupita Godinez wanted to clinch her up, it was like nothing. It was like, come over her and give her a hug, clinch her, press her up against the cage. Julia will do the same thing. Difference is, is that she's bigger, she's stronger. She'll probably peel her to the ground and get the and, and get top position. And if for whatever reason she pulls a fight, a move like she did in that Ivana Petrovic fight, sweeps to a top or you know, transitions to be on top, it's not a good place to be. Being on top of Stolyrenko is a bad place to be in women's MMA because not only is armbar from guard on the table in all these fights. This is quite literally the greatest armbar from guard fighter since the great Ronda Rousey. So, who didn't get them from guard, I get it. But you do hear what I'm saying. Uh, Carolina's got problems going for her. What's her path to victory? The volume. Even in that scenario, that she stuffs all the takedowns, that she stays out of the clinch, that she just keeps that volume going, Julia's still going to be coming forward and landing the bigger shots, right? So it's still subjective that you could lose the decision. And so, I, I, I just, I can't get behind her. I was thinking... 
Why not fade Stinko for old time's sake? But again, she's getting better fight to fight. And it's not that Luana Carolina isn't. It's that she needs the right type of opposition. And this doesn't seem like a great style for her. Yeah. We're reading the same team leaves this week, Cody. All right, we got Markel Medeiros taking on Landon Canones. Minus 130 for Medeiros, plus 110 for Canones. Uh, the market's really moved a lot towards Canones here. I mean, he had a pretty good UFC debut, um, obviously in a losing affair. He's on, on the Ultimate Fighter, but came in against Nazrat Hakparast and went tit for tat with him. Uh, really, really close. Uh, striking match. Both of them got hit a ton. 171 for Hackpress, 148 for Canones, but it was close, technical, enjoyable fight to watch that he came out on the losing end. But, I mean, not exactly a super, like a world-class opponent, but a pretty hard, you know, debut to be making. Um, I understand, like, the, the action coming in on Canones here. I just don't know if I've kind of like missed my opportunity to hop in. He will be my pick. I think he showed enough against Hack Press that um, if his chin can hold up, if he can not make them. I know that he's been doing like grappling tournaments as well. Because I remember on on the Ultimate Fighter, he took on Jason yeah. Knight and like yeah, what? He, like he made the biggest bonehead mistake. And even Jason Knight on the Ultimate Fighter was just like, bro, like. The amount of experience I have in jujitsu is just like, you should never have accepted that. Like, they were acting, they were talking about the fight after it, and he's just like, what were you even thinking coming, like, into my guard and, and, and doing that? So, I like the fact that I see this guy going, doing jujitsu tournaments um, in between fights. Obviously, he's trying to make the, make the big improvements. I like where the, I, I, I agree with where the money is coming in. It's been coming in on Landon Canones all week. Um, but maybe I'm missing something. I feel like I almost kind of missed the boat because, like, I mean, eh, like a week ago or a couple weeks ago, it was like you could get plus 150s, plus 160s out there. Uh, those are all gone at this point. So unless you're betting fights, you know, a month, two months in advance, which some people do pretty well by doing, um, I, I'm too lazy, I suppose, for that. Uh, I never, I never get those early openers anymore. People are way too sharp in the market these days uh that yeah I, maybe i'm just old a little bit uh, a little bit tired but can't keep up with the youngins but i feel like i missed my opportunity but landon canonas will be the pick what's yours yeah landon canonas when this uh when i first started looking at this card he jumped out as the the underdog he was the one underdog and then as you start looking at it deeper and days pass and then you start taking other underdogs as well but landon canonas as a plus 150 plus 160 what, what's there not to like here? This is a 50-50 fight in the sense that both guys will have chances to win, but he's got a solid chance of winning, and the price tag with the plus money just makes it fairly obvious. There's things to like about him for sure. Still pretty young. Um, nice traditional style martial artist with his striking, right? Traditional martial arts background, moves very well. Grappling is definitely going to be one of his deficiencies, but he's the Titan FC 155-pound champ. He's fought in a decent level of competition, jumps onto the ultimate fighter, and he, he never really got going. Got triangled in less than a minute by Jason Knight, as you mentioned. So tough go. Now you just lost in less than a minute to Jason Knight on the Contender Series. Jason or on uh, Ultimate Fighter. Jason Knight didn't get invited. Well, I guess he fought the one time, a previous run. But what I'm saying is he's not with the UFC. He didn't get signed to the UFC. Landy Kinona has lasted less than a minute with him. Don't you think this guy's destined to go back to the regional scene? Of course he is. But the UFC needs a guy. 
They need a guy on like a week's notice. See, Nazareth Hackbrost was supposed to fight Sam Patterson. Mm -hmm. Sam Patterson pulls out. They moved Hackbrost's fight back one week. And Lenny Quinones took the fight on one week's notice. So that's why he's a colossal underdog. He's coming on a, on a week. He lasted less than a minute against Jason Knight on the Contender Series. But here's the thing. He's young and he's in excellent shape. And yeah, they combined for over 300 significant strikes. He gave him the best go he could against a soft-ish top 15 type guy, but a top 15 type guy. That's an incredible fight. Big fight. Biggest of his career, and he looked the best of his career. Interesting. 28 years old, still pretty young, still getting better, and uh, he used to float around South Florida a little bit, but he's at American Top Team now. So I think he's getting in those quality rounds. He's feeling good. He's coming into his own physical prime. There's things to like about him. Of course, he's got sickening output, right? Solid cardio. Very good technical striking. A little bit hittable, but not a bad chin on him. It's that, it's that grappling. The grappling would be the deficiency. But Marcus uh, Markel Madero's he not he not known for his wrestling. He's not known for that ability to go out there and take guys down. He's at a Factory X Muay Thai, which is a fine gym with excellent wrestlers. But like, he himself ain't one of them. In fact, he fought his now former training partner, Jacoby, or his now training partner, Jacoby Jones. He fought him as an amateur and like, this guy's not... He, Jacoby Jones wrestled a little bit. He's a terrible wrestler in MMA, but at least he wrestled a little bit. This kid's not wrestling. Not... Don't don't love him. Comes to the... Uh, goes pro, right? Only pro loss against this Santiago Guzman. It's only two years ago, even though it's like eight fights ago. It's only two years ago. And it's a split decision. He tires, right? Next fight, first round knockout. You know, this this Tracy Reader gets the knockout. His fight with uh, Justin Lamperez gets the knockout. This fight with Michael Murphy, again, this is April of last year. It's not It's not even a full year ago. It's three fights ago. It's not even a year ago. He fights this Michael Murphy. This one goes to a decision, Paul. He tires again. After he loses that initial burst, that initial you know big power, that initial athleticism in that first round, he kind of becomes a little pedestrian, a little bit predictable. So I don't know that he's a great beyond the first round type guy. Maybe like a Pete Rodriguez. He's dangerous in the first round. Beyond that, you don't really know how he's going to adjust. So on the contender series against Isa Isakov, and I actually did bet him only because I'm not a big Isakov guy. Yeah, he looked good. He looked real good. He knocks him out, knee up the middle, uh, his takedown defense. Just he looked very confident. He looked very, you know, competent level fighter. You know, maybe maybe grows, maybe he's a problem. But against Landon Quinones, I don't know that that goes all that well for him. He's a good striker. He's got legitimate power. He creates good angles. But he seems to be on the lower volume side. When you've got big power, which he does, when you've got big power and it's reflective in these fights where you're beating guys in a minute, a couple minutes, a string of first round knockouts, most of your wins by knockout, you start to rely on that one big shot will materialize. Whereas guys like Landon Quinones, that comes from long pant kickboxing, comes from karate, comes from touch and go type stuff, he's just going to set you up all day long. So if it's big power, against volume, I, I'm going to lean towards Quinones. But the other thing is, is that Quinones landed like 150, 160 significant strikes taking a fight on a week's notice mm -hmm. against a good guy. So you know he can fight 15 minutes and you know that volume is going to be there. Whereas the flip side of that with Madero's, that, that power, yeah, it, it'll be there. It'll be there. But you don't know when it translates in the second. You don't know how it translates to the third. Because I will say this about him. Since his fight with Guzman, which was two years ago, he's won one, two, three, four, five, six fights in two years. He's taking this fight, I guess, four months after that fight with Isakov. 
he's talented, right? But there's not a whole, he's learning on the job. He's learning through the fire. He's competing, and that's where he's getting that, that, that experience from. Against Quinones, who's at American top team, training with world-class guys, got his debut out of his way, tons of confidence, stock rose even in a loss to Nazareth Hackcross. You know he can fight 15. You know he's going to have the, the volume, and he's never been knocked out, so what's your reason to think he gets cold cocked? Jason Knight made him look like a fool. Absolutely. Jason Knight's a world-class grappler. Ah, world-class grappler. Jason Knight's a black belt with legitimate submission victories. You know... Madero's not exactly that. He's a banger. He's a good banger, but but he is what he is. So why would he be the favorite, being that we know more about Quinones, there's more to go on from Quinones, and again, when you play this fight out multiple scenarios, Quinones is the victor more often than not. And they dropped a plus 150, plus 160. That don't mean shit. This happens all the time. You beat the market and you still lose. But it did look it did look pretty good. So the fact that the needle's moving that direction, it's good to see that other people are picking up on it. I wouldn't rule Medeiros out. He's he's a live he's a live dog. He's a you know he's a bit of a wild card. But I don't like betting wild cards where it's like ah maybe he lands that big shot. You kind of got to go with what you do know. And similar to I guess one of the few fights that I did get right on that goddamn UFC two ninety seven card, Sam Patterson versus um. Yeah, Yonatan Linus. Linus not that good, man. He's just a one-dimensional banger. Could he land on Sam Patterson? Sure you could, Paul. It's punchy, kicky. But Patterson's a better martial artist than every other aspect of the sport other than taking a punch on the chin. So is that enough to take out Johan Linus? No, it's not. This, to me, is it's much of the same. Medeiros has that puncher's chance. Pete Rodriguez has that puncher's chance. There's a number of guys on this card. Their win condition is that first-round knockout. But is that enough for you to get behind them? Maybe not. Some of them will blow up in your face, but those are the ones that we need to keep lower on the list because you can recognize there's inverted danger in betting against these one-round bangers. There's danger there, of course. They're coming to take your head off. They might succeed in doing it. But again, we gotta go with we gotta go with talent. Macho Man would say cream rises to the top. Like that's what we're trying to do here. So it's not gonna work every time, but skill usually wins outright at the end of the day. So uh, gotta go with Landon Quinones. I I agree with the movement. Skill. Uh, wins out at the end of the day, says Cody Saftik. So let's go to the most skilled division, low-level heavyweights. We've got Thomas Peterson taking on Jamal Pogues, minus 170 for Peterson, plus 145 for Pogues. I mean, Pogues has got like a weird career here, Cody. Like he's fighting. It's one of those guys that's like, let's let's face it. It's just like he almost kind of like decided like, I don't want to cut weight anymore because he was fighting. I mean, he lost by heel hook to Alex Polizzi and uh, Polizzi was an undersized light heavyweight in that fight. Uh, fights a whole bunch, I believe, or has fought at least before at 185. Um, so, yeah, and that's, Pogues weighed in that's interesting. Yeah, and Pogues, Pogues weighed in at 203. You look, through, big light heavyweight. What a, you look through his career, it's... I think his chin holds up, and it's held up in these heavyweight fights. Not sure about his grappling. He's taking on a guy with a wrestling background who's coming off of a uh, what a key lock submission, which is like a heavyweight submission. Like, big boys are the only ones that are able to pull that off. But, yeah, there's plus 750 Peterson by sub out on the market. Um, I like that number. I think that's probably the path... 
of least resistance for Thomas Peterson. He's going to go out there. He's going to try to get this fight to the mat. And um, it could turn into ground and pound or, or smothering, that, that type of thing. But, I mean, the guy's obviously working on his submissions. He had a submission in his last, uh, in his last fight. Plus seven plus seven fifty seems way too wide, so I just took that. Uh what do you what do you like here? Yeah, this is an absolute sloppy fight. I'm looking at overs in this fight, over one and a half, over two and a half, fight goes the distance type of stuff. But yeah, just because it's heavyweights and people are usually thinking, oh, these heavyweight fights won't go. But yeah, you know how it is. You run into these certain bogs of a heavyweight fight where both guys are slower. They're not known for their power punching. They both pretty much want to wrestle and that's what they might do. And time ticks away. One guy gets a takedown, but he doesn't do much with it. And all of a sudden it's like, eh, the buzzer goes off. It's been 15 minutes. Nobody remembers it. But if you're an over guy, heavyweight's not the worst place to hit a few overs. I'm so tempted to take Jamal Pogues. Simply because it's it's another dogger pass fight, Paul. We've got two middling heavyweights. They might be within the top five worst heavyweights, respectively, in the UFC. It's 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 that bottom level. And so to pay minus 175 on one side for Peterson, not exactly what I want to go with. But yeah, I think it's probably the right side. But we'll go with game theory on this one. So you got to watch for weigh-ins. Weigh-ins would be the way to approach this one. Paul already outlined it. Jamal Pogues used to fight at... 205 pounds fought the vast majority of his career at 205 pounds okay so he loses on against Polizzi on the contender series doesn't get a contract obviously wins one on the regional scene at 205 comes back to the contender series for round two against this Paulo Hanato right he weighed in at 248 pounds didn't look that bad took him down was able to go 15 minutes won the fight gets a contract out of it good enough for daddy Dana to say okay bring him on in gets Josh Parisi very low level guy Another super low-level heavyweight fight, but he weighs in at 249. So he's a career 205-er. You would think a healthy walk-around weight for him would be about 230, 235. He's weighing about 245, less than 250. That's acceptable to me, right? He's not cutting any weight. He's walk. He's fighting at a more of a natural weight. 248 against Hanato, 249 for Josh Parisian. Didn't look terrible in those fights. The Mick Parkin fight, he weighed in at 266 pounds. So he's already a 205er, but he balloons up that extra 45 to 50 pounds, wins the two fights with that extra 45 to 50 pounds. And now, Paul, he throws on an additional 20 pounds on that frame, 266, which is the limit, which means he cut weight to make 266. So what's he walking around at now? 270 pounds, 280 pounds. He's out of shape. There's no way around it other than he's out of shape. And I know guys like Jake Collier, he moves up to heavyweight. But did he have success at heavyweight? Did Jake Collier have long-term real success at light heavyweight? No. Or sorry, at heavyweight? No. Because he's not a heavyweight. He's out of shape. Pogues is, Pokey Pogues is out of shape, man. He's, he's out of shape for real. Now, how do you know how out of shape he is? Well, I'll tell you how out of shape he is. The one fight before with Josh Parisian. Josh Parisian is a 266-pound man. He's a very large man. Uh, he took him down five times on 11 takedown attempts. How tiring do you think it would be to take down a guy five times who weighs almost 300 pounds? 11 takedown attempts. Stuck to the game plan. 15-minute cardio. Made it happen. Fights Mick Parkin, a boxer. A guy that's boxed with Tyson Fury. A guy that's boxed with Tom Aspinall. Taking on a boxer, he shot one single takedown because he was 25 pounds out of shape, too tired to wrestle, Showed up the worst bum version I've seen of him in a long time. 
And Parkin just had his way, man. It's a bad fight. Bad fight. Terrible fight. So now you have a scenario here where him versus Tom Pedersen, he's taking on another guy that's 266 pounds. Pedersen is a big heavyweight, legitimate heavyweight. Poor cardio, collegiate wrestler, but his wrestling's really not all that good. Striking's not all that good. Pogues is faster, more athletic, cocks up with the overhand right, shoots the takedown, gets in on this guy, makes him work. Pogues is going to spring the upset for sure. But that's relying on him being in shape. And I think if he weighs in on the weigh-ins at 248, 249, 250, that range... That seems to be him at sh in shape. He shows up at 266. He will give a decent first round against Thomas Pedersen. But ultimately, Pedersen is a wrestler as well. So it's tiring to wrestle. And you're not going to try to wrestle a 300-pound man over and over when you're out of shape. And if he gasses and if he stares at him, and if he doesn't let that overhand right go, he doesn't use that speed advantage, he's going to lose. He's going to lose for sure. So with, with Patterson, yeah, I, I'm not high on him. And people will say, oh, he just won on the Contender Series. Key lock, as Paul brought up. like dude, Chandler Cole, perhaps one of the worst heavyweights that has fought on like a notable organization in a long time. He's, he's not good. Don't let records fool you. Not good. Not good. So don't let that win be like, ah, Patterson's got a grappling game now. And, oh, his wrestling was better than a fellow college wrestler. So he's got good wrestling. And he, he's prime for the taking. Prime for the taking. Jamal Pogues has already got two UFC fights. He's already got a UFC win. He's already fight a similar style of guy already. Him in shape, going to be a problem. He's a live underdog. You're not going to know until you see him at the scales. And I hate to say, you know, it's up to him to show up in shape. But if you're a professional and this is your career and you want to win fights, show up in shape. If he does, live. But until you know for sure and you feel confident for sure, I feel like you have to just auto-fade him coming off that Mick Parkin fight and that... He had a reluctancy to do anything. Reluctancy to take him down. Reluctancy to strike. Flat gassed out. How could you now bet money on that guy without at least seeing something? So, Waynes will be telling, but until then, I don't feel good about it. I would probably just take Patterson. Round is a shape, Cody. Round is a shape. We'll see. Yeah, he, he's, an, he's an excellent shape by regular uh, civilian standards. You know what I mean? Like, I hate, I hate when it's like, oh, this guy's... That and this guy's <laughs> Patty, Patty's so fat. And it's just like, yeah, you know, he could probably run 10 miles tomorrow if he need be. And the average person can't go too. Like, but it, it's it's subjective. You feel bad saying that stuff. But how, how do you put on 65 pounds in like an eight month period of time without something being wrong? Wrong. Right. Even if you were like, I'm a power lifter, you know, or I'm a, you know, a big weights guy, like even by their standards, how would you put on 65 or 75 pounds in a, in the a type six of or eight too. month period? We're not putting on it, like steroid weight. Cause yeah, like, I mean, that's probably Jay Collier, Jay Collier was full of stretch marks. Right. So what that tells you is that the weight came on very quickly, mm -hmm. which allowed his body to not be able to adjust. So his skin was forced to stretch. And then he, if he creates the stretch marks, right, it's okay. It happens. And and I'm not saying only fat people have stretch marks. I've seen jack guys, bicep gets huge and it stretches, right? It's skin. It's only has so much ele ele elasticity. elasticity. <laughs> That's a bad word for me. Uh, always has been. But that is the right word for the scenario. So, yeah, it, I, I get it. I, I, I hate to bash on certain people here and there. But in this case, yeah, again, Pogues at 205 is, is, is somewhat versatile. At heavyweight, what he's doing is the same thing that that Justin Ledette idiot was doing, right? You're way faster than these heavyweights because you're a light heavyweight. So you can maneuver them. And you'll beat the Josh Parisians of the world. And you'll beat the Chase Shermans of the world. And you'll beat the... 
Who's that guy? Looks like the ogre from uh, uh, he was Sam Alvey's buddy out of Temecula. Jared Jared Vanderveer. You beat or Vanderveer. Jared Vandera. Vandera. Jared Vandera. You beat those guys with simply a speed advantage. All you need. Pedersen is pretty much in that same category. Mm. It's that Pogues needs to be in shape in order to use the speed advantage and do it for 15 minutes if need be. So him at 266, not effective. Him 20 pounds lighter, I, I would I would have a little more faith. I'd be tempted to take a little dog sprinkle. If I don't, Patterson's like pretty well at the bottom of my list of priorities this week. Um, but for the pre-fight show, which we're doing right now, got to make a pick. I haven't seen Wayans, obviously. I got to go with Thomas Peterson to want it more. Maybe he wants it more. Yeah, I mean, the market really, like you were talking about taking the overs and stuff. It's like the market loves the overs. Like it was, yeah. they've already been steamed. Um, it opened at like minus 175. It's already down to minus 240, the over one and a half. And it's pretty much a pick em. Uh, slight juice to the over one over two and a half rounds. Fight to go to the decision is a straight pick em. So people are all loving the fatty gonna fatty. And I'm saying, you know, Jamal Pogues was getting submitted by guys who are probably like middleweights. Maybe he gets key locked here for plus 750. I'm in for a sprinkle. But do you know me? I, I like, I'm one of those guys. It's like if I go two and say if I have like eight bets, it's like if I go two and two and eight, three and eight on the night, it's like I have a profitable night. Like that's just, we have different styles. I think that's why it works between the two of us. Uh, make what works for you work for you. Uh, so yeah, I've got Peterson sub plus seven fifty this week. Diana Belbita plus two twenty on the money line. Stolier Stinko probably the play of the week uh, by sub plus two oh five. Uh, Natalia Silva just a little sm- little sprinkle on her uh, by KO plus five forty. Uh, that's a smaller play than the Stinko sub. And we've got uh, Moicano by sub. Plus two hundred. That's what I've got at uh, six ten p.m. in the one true time zone, Atlantic time. Cody, hit him well, with PRP. Yeah, okay, PRP. We're gonna go Roman deletes at the top. Uh, well, not the top of the PRP, but yeah, he's the he's the main event. We're going with Roman deletes. That's gonna be our underdog number one. We're going with Moicano, Randy Brown, uh, Lishkov, Kurziev, Gilbert Urbina. Uh, Natalia Silva, Dinah Balbita, dog number two, Jung Young Lee, Azat Maxim, who I definitely do like this week, uh, Thrimbo Garimbo, Juliana Storlyrenko, Lando Quinones is dog number three. And I'm going to go with Thomas Pedersen. If I was to switch to Jamal Pogues, it'd be the PRP. And if he was to hit, it would now be the, the Pogi Jamal parlay from now on because, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see him hit one as a plus 135. But Everyone else has got to do their job. Like last week we had Flick and Sam Patterson, right? They did their job. You get all that plus money, and then one of your favorites just blows it. In the case of last week, pretty much all my favorites blew it. So this week, yeah, again, looking to avoid that. But if we can hit those short little underdogs, those good little plus money plays, that's what's going to get us some value. Paul mentioned a bunch of good props, a lot of them long. And yeah, when you're betting plus 550, betting plus 600, like you're not going to get them right every time, but you can afford to get them right once every four times, once every five times because the value you know, makes up with it in the long run. So I think you got to, have we disagreed with any of them? Like not shoey bet related, but have we agreed with one single fight? Like I feel like we're on the same page. We're kind of on the same and, page uh, on like everything this week. Yeah. Um, and we got three underdogs. So it's not like it's not we like dis- just disagreed taking... on like, 
Yeah, we didn't really disagree. Yeah, really nothing, which could be great. Maybe, maybe could this is maybe this is the week, or could be horrible. Uh, right, right. Who knows? We'll find out. We'll talk about it next week on the Dogger Pass podcast. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saftig, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.